Whitman was a great walker. All his poetry I look at as one great walk. The blab of the pave, the tires of carts and slough of boot soles and talk of the promenaders, the heavy omnibus, the driver with his interrogating thumb, the clank of the shod horses on the granite Obviously, floor, New York is a walking city, but Ian Whitman's lifetime, everything was cheek by jowl on the street. Kenneth Jackson. It's crowded. It's smelly. There's excuse my French, horse shit all over the place. But more than that, you're going to cut between one horse's tail and wagons to cross Broadway, for example. It would have taken some guts. Whitman was not a particularly early riser. He would get to the Brooklyn Daily Eagle office, do some work, and then in the afternoon he would walk down to the East River where Mr. Gray had his bathing establishment, and then he would hop on a ferry for some good times in Manhattan. He was very tall, broad-shouldered. Joanne Creek. Some people said he had a kind of a rolling gait when he walked. He probably would have walked all the way up to what we might think of as Soho now, the south of Houston Street, all the areas of Lower Broadway. Whitman loved the dandies that he saw dressed on Broadway, and every one, especially men, was a potential lover. Peter Coviello. There is an ineradicable cruisiness about Whitman's poem. Oh, he was a great erotic poet. Michael Cunningham. Brilliant at eroticizing not only men and women, but the city itself. He found a crowded street sexy. I mean, who doesn't? John Adams. And when you say erotic, it isn't just sexual attraction to another person, but it's a kind of feeling of the whole body, a physical attraction to objects, to colors, to sounds, to smells. That's why Whitman loved New York, because it smelled of people. It was a turn-on for him. He says at times in his poems that just brushing against others becomes satisfying to him. All over Whitman's poetry, you have these scenes of crossing paths with a multitude of anonymous others. And that's so distinctive in Whitman. It makes him categorically the city poet. He's the poet of strangers. He loves strangers, yes. Whitman is somebody who is trying to catch somebody's eye, you might say. Philip Lopate. There's a poem of his that captures this called um, To a Stranger. Shall I read it? Please. Passing stranger, you do not know how longingly I look upon you. You must be he I was seeking, or she I was seeking. It comes to me as of a dream. It comes to me as of a dream. I have somewhere surely lived a life of joy with you. All is recalled as we flit by each other, fluid, affectionate, affectionate chaste, matured. matured. You grew up with me, were a boy with me, or a girl with me. I ate with you and slept with you. Your body has become not yours only, nor left my body mine only. You give me the pleasures of your eyes, face, flesh, as we pass. You take of my beard, breast, hands in return. I am not to speak to you. I am to think of you when I sit alone or wake at night alone. I am to wait. I do not doubt I am to meet you again. I am to see to it that I do not lose you. Well, I think it's a very nice poem, but I don't know that I totally agree with it. I think it's a wonderful attitude to have if you feel that you're connected with everyone. I've definitely had that, yes. Yes, that totally. That happens all the time, especially on subways. 
like when you're sitting facing a person and suddenly you there is an eye contact but you're not really talking but there is still a connection sometimes you like you feel a spark i know that person and then i know I, there's no possible way i can know that person now one of the things that's notable about that poem is there's also a lot of longing and frustration in it there's always the promise of a connection but very rarely is there actually the connection so in a way new york becomes a city of Eurotic promise, the streets are filled with sensuality and also a, a city of, uh, of loneliness and frustration. This is the city, and I am one of its citizens. Whatever interests the rest interests me. Politics, churches, newspapers, schools, benevolent societies, improvements, banks, tariffs, steamships, factories, markets, stocks and stores and real estate and personal estate. Do you take it I would astonish? Does the daylight astonish? Or the early red start twittering through the woods? Do I astonish more than they? Once again, writer Philip Lope. When Whitman encountered Manhattan in the 1840s and 50s, it was beginning to explode, to burst at the seams, and to become an incredibly important city. And one of the main reasons was the port of New York. You have to imagine a waterfront that is completely jammed with mass, you know, one after the other, and every kind of boat imaginable. Whitman came of age with the city which was quickly reinventing itself as the commercial capital of North America. According to historian Kenneth Jackson, with the extraordinary growth of the city came a new cultural space for people to reinvent themselves. It was a big city. There are thousands and thousands of people walking around. So I think you're beginning to experience what in some ways is really the genius of a great city, which is it allows people to be who they want to be, and how they want to be, and what they can be, in a way that's just not possible in a small town in Iowa. Well, one of the big questions about Walt is, how does a working class guy who has to drop out of school become a poet? Karen Carpenter is a Whitman scholar and curator of a Whitman exhibit in Lower Manhattan, where Robert Warner runs a 19th century print shop. So I'm going to set uh, letters into a composing stick he dropped out of school at age 10. His had a big family, a lot of sickness. His father was probably an alcoholic. And Whitman, after a couple of other jobs, he settled into the printing business. At this point, I'm rolling ink out onto a slab of marble. Now, why this is totally fascinating to me is because he falls in love with language this way. Printing is the only working class profession where literacy is a key ingredient to what you do. And I can't think of another way that a young man at that time could have gotten so much in touch with language and words. In Whitman's time, New York City was in the middle of a media revolution when newspapers went from being providers of business information to sources of political news, commentary, and lifestyle features. From printer's apprentice, Whitman worked his way up to become a freelance reporter, then editor and columnist. And he's writing about things as common and ordinary as people catching a ferry. You know, looking out, opening your eyes, and writing about the world around you. Just 30 years before he did that, nobody was doing that. That was not what newspapers did. That was not what poets did either, until Whitman, 
whose poems sometimes read like a sequence in a documentary film. The peddler sweats with his pack on his back. The purchaser haggles about the odd scent. The camera and plate are prepared. The lady must sit for her daguerreotype. The bride unrumples her white dress. The minute hand of the clock moves slowly. The opium eater reclines with rigid head and just opened lips. The prostitute draggles her shawl, her bonnet bobs on her tipsy and pimpled neck. The crowd laugh at her blaggard oaths. The men jeer and wink to each other. Miserable. I do not laugh at your oaths, nor jeer you.